0: Morning, everyone. Silence is golden, or is it? 433, the most jarring piece of music ever written, or not written, written as the case may be. Silence in, in a crowd. I don't know how you found that exercise. Silence in, in a crowd and with others is never easy. It's one of the reasons why at most football grounds today, whenever they want to show respect, the previous practice of observing a minute's silence is now replaced with what? A minute's what? Hand clapping. Because 60 seconds of pure silence with others is awkward. It's uncomfortable. But if corporate silence is tricky, silence on your own, silent solitude is also a challenge and Especially in a culture that has conditioned us to be far more comfortable with noise and with crowds, Gene Fleming observes, and I think very accurately, that we live in a noisy, busy world. Silence and solitude are not 21st century words. We have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. Is that a fair comment? Fair comment? And so today, as we turn to the twin disciplines of silence and solitude, I wonder how you react. I wonder how you feel this morning. I wonder what thoughts come to mind. If you're you're like most people, there probably isn't a lot of either in your life. From the moment we hit the floor in the morning to the moment we hit the pillow at night, most available space is filled with sound and with activity and with audible voices and with other people, with constant streaming and checking and watching and doing and engaging. There isn't a lot of room for silent solitude. There isn't even a lot of desire for it. And changes in technology have led to the virtual elimination of almost all quiet spaces in our lives. It's far easier. It's far more normal to surround ourselves with noise and to keep moving than to stop, to be silent, and to be still. Why is that? Is silent solitude just too difficult? Is it too unusual? Is it too frightening? Is it just too boring? For anyone who's visiting, I know there's lots, and it's really great to have lots of visitors here with us this morning, but uh, this is week five of our series on forced rhythms, looking again at the importance of the spiritual disciplines in our Christian lives, those disciplines and those practices that have been given to us and handed down to us so that we can do certain things, that we should do certain things, and we should do them for various reasons. And here are the four that we have identified at the core of this series, that we are doing these spiritual disciplines for the purpose of godliness. Paul says to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline is the path to godliness. Second reason we do spiritual disciplines to nurture our relationship with our Father, to nurture our relationship with God. Third reason we do them is because Jesus did them. And the fourth reason we do them is to guard our hearts. And so far, we've looked at five. Here's the five we've looked at. We've looked at worship and Sabbath. Last Sunday morning, we thought about confessional, personal confession, and also confessing our sins to one another. And then last Sunday night, I looked at these kind of two quite unusual left field disciplines of the examine and unplugging. Today, it's silence and solitude. And at one level, these are fundamental to our series. In some ways, I I should have started with these, because these really are at the heart, in a sense, of this whole series and of spiritual disciplines in general, because without a commitment to these on a regular basis, you're going to struggle to practice any of the others, most of the others, uh, taking something that Adele Calhoun writes in her book on this subject, we can aptly describe silence and solitude as container disciplines. Because although they are disciplines in and of themselves, they can also be filled with other disciplines. And that is so true because personal worship and Bible reading and meditation on scripture and prayer and confession and the examine, etc., they will rarely happen unless you are making and taking time to be alone in a quiet place. Silence and solitude are critical foundational disciplines which hold, which carry, which support many of the other disciplines. If silence and solitude are missing from your life, most of the rest of the spiritual disciplines will seldom occur. So what I want to do is take a closer look at them this morning. And let me begin with a couple of definitions. Uh, Those of you who are reading the book, Disciplines of the Christian Life by Donald Whitney, here's his two definitions of silence and solitude. Don't have them on the screen. Silence is the voluntary and temporary abstention from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. It's important. Silence is the voluntary, temporary abstention from speaking so that certain spiritual goals may be sought. Solitude is the voluntary and temporary withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. So this is not just about being quiet and being alone, full stop. Although there is a place for that, a healthy place that. But as spiritual disciplines, that's a different thing. As spiritual disciplines, here's my definition of silence and solitude. It's about the intentional moments of time in a quiet place to be alone with God. That's what silence and solitude is. The intentional moments of time in a quiet place to be alone with God. You see, these practices have a purpose not an end in themselves, means to an end. And although they can be distinguished, silence and solitude can be distinguished. They're two separate disciplines, but they're often found together. They fit together. They are twin disciplines, and therefore we're gonna keep them together. And for the rest of my time this morning, I simply wanna give you six more reasons. Six more reasons why the practice of uh, silence and solitude are essential, and then I'm going to give you some practical suggestions so that this can move from nice ideas to lived realities. You see, despite the nervousness and struggles and unease with these disciplines, I think there's something within all of us, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, there is something within all of us that craves silence and solitude, that longs to find a quiet, sacred space to be alone with God in the midst of all the noise and the busyness that occupies and assaults so much of our lives. Yes, extroverts may need more silence and solitude. Introverts may need less, but neither group can do entirely without them. Personality comes into this, but never as an excuse not to practice them. So here goes six. The first And possibly the most important one that links to the third overall reason for spiritual disciplines is to follow the example of Jesus. You know, as you read the Gospels, and we've we've made this point many, many times, but as you read the Gospels, you're constantly struck by the number of times that Jesus engaged in periods of silence and solitude. He often stopped and he stepped away from crowds to be alone with his Father. And he did it for various periods of time. Let me just read you a few examples. Mark tells us very early in the morning. This is right in his first chapter of his gospel. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house. And where does he go? He goes off to a solitary place where he prays with his father. Matthew says, after he dismissed all these people, Jesus goes up to a mountainside to pray. Later that night, he was there all alone. And then Luke records that at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. And the thing is, Jesus did this, and we need to be clear about this. Jesus did this against the backdrop of crowds and busyness. Jesus had a busy schedule. We we sometimes think, you know, it would be so much easier way back then to find space and time to be quiet and be alone. And yet, in all those instances that I just read there, Jesus had been surrounded by people demanding his time, demanding his attention for the whole day. In fact, for days on end. And so in order for Jesus to be alone with his father, he needed to step aside. He needed to step away and get up early, if necessary, and head to a mountain. And what we find is that in the life of Jesus, there is this rhythm. This rhythm of engagement and retreat. Engagement with people, engagement with activities, yes, but also the need then to retreat, to be alone with his father. And it's that rhythm that I believe we need to embrace and we need to model. If God incarnate, the perfect Son of God, needed silence and solitude, then how much more do we? The second reason connects with the first, and it's this. It's to be transformed. All three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about Jesus's extended period of silence and solitude right at the beginning of his earthly ministry, kind of post-baptism, whenever he spent 40 days in silence and in solitude and fasting, which is a discipline we'll look at a little later in this series. Now, now, don't get too hung up on the time frame. Although extended periods of silence and solitude are worth considering, and again, I'll come back to that. But do pay close attention to the after effects. Do pay close attention to how this extended period of silence and solitude impacted Jesus. Because Luke tells us that after a period of silence and solitude, Jesus returned to Galilee High in the power of the Spirit. You see, silence and solitude are transformational. Jesus left that period energized. Plus, we often think that the enemy approached Jesus at the end of that period when he was at his weakest. And yet, as a result of having spent time alone with his father, Jesus was at his strongest and therefore was more able to deal with the temptations that the devil threw at him. Silent solitude transformed Jesus. And when we put ourselves in that place for 40 days or 40 minutes, where all the other disciplines or many of the other disciplines are practiced the way Jesus did, then we are in that place where transformation occurs. Silence and solitude for the purpose of being transformed. Third reason. It overlaps. Silence and solitude provide a welcome and necessary opportunity for physical and spiritual restoration. Do you know many of us, and I know not not all necessary, but many of us And many in our society do life and live life at a breakneck speed. Always in a rush. Trying to cram an indefinite number of things into a finite amount of time. We get up earlier and we go to bed later and still there isn't enough time. Our world, it would seem to use a quote I've shared before, it's become the world of the Red Queen and Alice in Wonderland. Now here you see takes all the running you can do just to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast. That's true. The result is many people, it's my experience, many people are just exhausted. They're exhausted. Many in our society are physically, emotionally, spiritually wrung out. Family life, work life, church life, Social life, all of them legitimate, but all demand our time. And in the words of W.H. Davis nearly a century ago, what is life? Full of care. You have no time to stand and stare. You see, silence and solitude are those disciplines that force us, they force us to stop. They force us to catch our breath. They force us to rest. In Mark 6, the disciples are wiped out. It says people have been demanding their time and their attention, not just Jesus' but other people, the disciples' the time and attention, to the point where they haven't even had the chance to grab a bite to eat. And Jesus draws alongside them. And he says something we've quoted a couple of times already during this series, words that we need to keep coming back to, words that we need to keep hearing, but far more importantly than just hearing these words, we need to accept these words from the lips of Jesus. Come with me, by yourselves, to a quiet place and get some rest." The disciplines of silence and solitude take you to that place, and they can be restorative. Blaise Pascal, French philosopher, once said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It's an interesting thought. I'm not suggesting we simply sit quietly in a room alone. That is not the answer. This is not about solitary confinement. Instead, we are focusing on sitting quietly in a room alone with God. This is about solitary refinement. And that is what is restorative restores us spiritually, restores us physically, restores us emotionally. The fourth reason for silence and solitude is to be better placed to hear from God. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb to hear from God. And we read these words, they're well-known words. Then a great and a powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came... Gentle whisper. Or in another translation, a low whisper. Or if you use the King James Version, there came a still small voice. And as Christians and as a church, we passionately believe that God still wants to communicate to us. He still wants to speak into our lives. But sometimes hearing the divine whisper above all the noise and amongst all the other voices that are screaming for our attention is just almost impossible. What has God been saying to you this week? What have you heard God say to you this week? Silence and solitude create the space where we can listen. They provide the context where we're better able to detect and discern What God might be saying to us, as Mother Teresa once said, we need to find God, but he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. Is there a connection between the amount of noise in our lives and our inability to hear God? Silence and solitude enable us to listen more attentively for the voice of God To the voice of God, which then sparks our response to God in prayer. The fifth reason for these disciplines is to seek guidance and direction, to seek God's will, to seek discernment and clarity in making decisions. And again, Jesus did this. Jesus did this. In Luke chapter 6, we read that before he selected the 12 from the larger group of disciples, Luke tells us, the word as Jesus go? He goes to a solitary place, and he spends a whole night in prayer. And then out of that experience, he felt confident to appoint Simon and Andrew and James and John, etc., whom he then named apostles, as Luke tells us. As Donald Whitney writes, Christian history is rich with memorable stories of men and women who secluded themselves from all others in order to seek the will of him who matters most. If you want direction, if you have a major decision to make, if you're simply looking for some guidance, then silence and solitude may be essential practices for discerning your father's heart. Sixth final reason. This is not an exhaustive list, obviously. But these disciplines help us to learn to control our tongues. You see, learning to keep silent for short periods of time help us better control our tongues all of the time. We all know that learning to control the tongue is is critical in Christ's likeness. The Apostle James has lots to say about this issue, but listen to the wisdom of the writer of Proverbs. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. Henri Nouwen once said, it is a good discipline to wonder in each new situation if people would be better served by our silence than by our words. The disciplines of silence and solitude, if nothing else, force us to stop speaking. So six reasons. To follow the example of Jesus, to be transformed, to be physically, spiritually restored, to be in a better place, to hear from God, to seek direction and guidance, to learn to control our tongues. Let me just close this. Uh, with a few suggestions, a few practical suggestions for practicing these disciplines. Here, take advantage of the little solitudes that fill our days. There are a lot—you know, those brief moments when you are alone and there is relative silence. Grab hold of those little solitudes. For example, the moment you wake up before you actually get up. That commute, that short journey in your car—why not drive in silence? Use your car as a kind of mobile sanctuary from time to time that walk to the shop, that first cup of coffee in the morning, what about treating your shower cubicle as a fortress of solitude? Might be the closest most of us get to a monastic cell. <laughs> grab those tiny moments, those tiny moments. We all have them, but grab those tiny moments as mini retreats, mini retreats. Donald Whitney in his book, those of you who have been reading it, he talks about minute retreats. He's, he talks about the moment at the traffic light the journey in a lift, the moment standing in a queue, he says, look, consecrate that time, just that minute. Use it as a moment of silence and solitude. Acknowledge God. But secondly, do set aside specific times each day for being alone and being quiet. Plan daily times of silent solitude with God. Whenever you can be still, whenever you can read scripture, whenever you can pray, whenever you can confess. And the busier you are, the more hectic your world is, the more you need to plan spaces for silence and solitude. And if you're waiting for a quieter day, if you're waiting till life is less busy, you're going to be waiting for a while. We all know that. In the words of Thomas Merton, solitude its not something you must hope for in the future unless you look for it in the present. You'll never find it. And I said something like this in the very first week of this series, but in the words of someone else, without exception, the men and women I have known who have made the most rapid, consistent, and evident growth in Christ-likeness are those who develop a daily time of being alone with God. How much silent solitude, time alone with God, have you had this week? Have I had? Thirdly, and by the way, daily, regular times, don't let other things, even though they're urgent other things, don't let the urgent get in the way of the important. Third thing, locate a special place. And finally, get away for some extended times of silence and solitude, maybe even once. Many of you know that as part of my rule of life, I go on an annual 48-hour silent retreat. Richard Foster talks about a quarterly retreat every three or sorry, three or four times a year for three or four hours. Find somewhere, go away specific silent solitude, let me encourage you to consider both of those ideas. And if there is anyone here who wants me to organize a silent retreat, give me your name afterwards or get in contact with me by email before the end of today. And if there is enough interest for organizing a silent retreat, then I'll do that. I need to close. Silence and solitude are two fundamental disciplines of the Christian faith. Without them, It's gonna be hard to practice most of the others we're talking about this term. And therefore I urge you to make time for them and you're gonna have to make time for them for those six reasons that I've given you. Jim Elliott, famous missionary martyr, once said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware. Of the power of silence. And if regular times of silence and solitude before God. Have been reduced in your life. If they've been eroded. If they've been replaced by noise. And hurry. And crowds. Can I urge you to reinstate them. Reinstate those silent solitudes, and let's not give the devil a foothold.